growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Living in the reality of our finality should cause us to embrace life and and not say, oh my, I'm going to die one day, but rather to say, man, I am going to die one day, so, so let's get busy living. What is salvation? Most of us probably have some idea of what we think spiritual salvation is, but there may be more to it than a lot of people realize. When he said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. Sure, we understand from a theological perspective, we understand that means someday in heaven, but it's more than that. It means this life right now, living in the reality that life is more abundant, that it's fuller and I can enjoy every moment of it. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in a series entitled The Am I Series, where we're making our way through the New Testament letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Today, we're in 1st John chapter 2. And as we'll hear in today's message, the Apostle John is laying out some fundamental truths about salvation, what it looks like, what it requires, how it is made possible. This ought to humble us and at the same time blow our minds. God, who has wrath, the wrath of God on sin, took that wrath and poured it out on himself on the cross so that you and I would not have to be under the consequences, the condemnation, and the wrath of God for all of eternity. He did that for us. Pastor Clay is going to show us in the first two verses of 1 John chapter 2 some of the important truths about salvation. We thank you for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. quite sure I've uh, told y'all this story before, but, you know, with all the news about Florida this week and stuff, so I'm sure it was kind of on my mind as thinking about it. If, if you don't know, I was born and raised in, in Florida, in South Central Florida, and uh, South Florida, and so uh, it's been in the news a lot, obviously, so I'm sure I was thinking about that. But when I was six or seven years old, I think, I don't think I was any younger than that, but when I was six or seven years old, I went with uh, my best friend Victor and his family uh, to the beach in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, it was a great day, you know, at the beach and sunny and all that kind of stuff. And as we were swimming around in the water there, I I noticed that uh, offshore, and it it didn't look that far to me. I don't know how far it was. Uh, To a six or seven-year-old kid, it may have been a long ways. But Victor uh, Victor didn't want to go out there, but I talked him into it. I can be a very persuasive guy, even at six or seven years of age. I was very persuasive. And uh, so I talked him into uh, trying to swim out to the sandbar with me. And so we started swimming out there. And, and I don't know how far we got. I honestly don't know how far we got. But at some point, uh, Victor panicked. At some point, Victor panicked. He he. It, the, the depth of the water or the distance from the shore that we were or whatever it was, but he began to uh, panic. He was uh, afraid. And, and I don't know if you've ever been around a person in full-blown panic mode, but there is no reasoning with them. There is no anything. They're just, they, when they're in full-blown panic mode, they're just in full-blown panic mode. And uh, so... He began to, he was convinced that he was going to drown. And so, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're about to drown, but when you are about to drown, you go into uh, survival mode. You go into survival mode. And so he began to just 
just grab a hold of me and climb on top of me and, and push me down in the water. And it's not that he hated me or wanted me to drown. But when you're in survival mode, that's all you know is that I, I'm, I'm going to drown and I must not drown. And so he's climbing on top of me and literally just and flailing and screaming and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, I mean, I really, I still, I still remember this, six or seven or however old I was. I still remember this. Uh, I was trying to remain calm. I'm trying to calm Victor down. I'm saying, Victor, I'm trying to say, I'm trying to say Victor, Victor, it'll be okay. Victor, just, just keep swimming. And, um, but he wasn't having, having anything to do with it. He just kept shoving me farther and farther and farther down. I, it, I, it, I can remember, it's the first time, Unfortunately, it's not the only time, but it's the first time in my life that, that the thought came into my head, I'm going to die. I'm going to die today. Because there was no getting away from him. There was no overpowering him. We were about the same size, and, and there was none of that. And so, just when I was convinced that I was about to do my best Luca Brasi impersonation and sleep with the fishes. <laughs> shout out to Godfather. Just when I thought I was about to do my best Luca Brasi impersonation and sleep with the fishes, um, I felt this, this big, strong arm come, come up uh, behind me, around me, in front. I don't know what, we was all just flailing around all this stuff and grab me up and grab me around the chest and, and pull me up out of the water. And these two lifeguards had, uh, had seen us from the shore, had seen us in trouble, and they came out there and, and rescued us. They, they literally saved us that day. Being saved is a good feeling. <laughs> Knowing that you're at the brink of, of the end and to suddenly be saved, it, it, it's, a, it's a good feeling. One of, the, one of the foundational beliefs of Christianity, this thing we call Jesus and following after Him and Christianity and church or whatever all you... This, one of the foundational core beliefs of this thing is that Jesus Christ saves us. Maybe if you grew up in church, you've heard that all your life. Jesus saves. We sing songs about it. One of the core beliefs of Christianity is that Jesus Christ saves us. He, he saves us from our sins. He saves us from a life of, really, of, of pointlessness, quite honestly. And He saves us for eternity. He saves us for heaven and a relationship with Him and the presence of God and all those things that you've heard in, maybe in growing up in Sunday school or, or wherever. He saves us uh, from all of those things. It's a bedrock principle. Jesus saves us. Knowing that you are saved is, is a wonderful, especially in a moment like I was there in the water, almost euphoric feeling. Because you've had this near-death experience. But in a sense, in a sense, all of us, every day, are living a near-death experience. Because all of us are one heartbeat away from stepping out into eternity. All of us are a blink of an eye away from an accident or disease or a all of us. I, I, I'm not, I know we don't, but that's, that's the reality. All of us are, in a sense, living in a near-death experience. Now, I, I, don't, I don't be morbid about this or, or Debbie Downer or anything, but, but the reality is 
that no matter how long any of us are here, one day every one of us will step out into eternity. Now, we don't know what day that day will be, but what we do know is that day will be. That it is, it is coming. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to be morbid about this, not trying to be Debbie Downer about this. In fact, I, I believe just the opposite. I, I believe that, that living in the reality of our finality should cause us to live life, live this 80 years or 100 years or 40 years or to whatever it is, to live that life with, with fullness and with purpose and with joy and with intention and, and, and with the desire to squeeze every ounce of, of living out of this life that we can squeeze out of it as God would have us to live it. I, I think living in the reality of our finality should cause us to embrace life and, and not say, oh my, I'm, I'm going to die one day, but rather to say, man, I am going to die one day, so, so let's get busy living. I, that's just what I think. And I think that's exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. Sure, we understand from a theological perspective, we understand that means someday in heaven and, and the sweet by and by. Sure, it means that as well. But it's more than that. It means this life right now, living in the reality that, that life is more abundant, that it's fuller and I can enjoy every moment of it. And so, with that in mind and the idea of salvation, I want to share with you a few observations about salvation from 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 for a few weeks. In 1 John chapter 2, and particularly in verses 1 through 11, we'll start this morning. Just, I just want to make a few observations about salvation because, obviously, it's a big deal. Most everybody wants to think that, that they are saved and whatever all that means or will mean for their life. So uh, 1 John uh, chapter Two, beginning in verse 1, you can open your Bibles there and we're going to read it together, all right? Some observations about salvation. Let's, let's see what John says here. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in Him. Here's how we know that we are in Him, that we have salvation, that we are saved. Here's how we know. The one who says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I'm I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 
But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Lord, today, uh, as we just begin to delve in a little bit to 1 John chapter 2, I ask for your clarity and your, your wisdom again. I ask for your anointing upon my lips and my mind and, and these people's ears and their minds and their hearts. Uh, God, the person in this room today or watching this message today, this week, or listening to it on the podcast, uh, may the truth of your word speak to us. Uh, may these observations uh, that really John is, is making, and I'm simply drawing out, may these observations about salvation uh, be impactful for my life. It, it is about the application. It is, it's theological truth, but it's intended to make application for my life. So each person, each man in this room right now, God, make application from your word. Each woman in this room right now, whatever stage of life, wherever they are in life, make application from your word right now, today. And we ask it in the name of the one who can, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's make a few observations. We're going to start with this observation this morning. First observation is this. Keep looking over here. I forget that one's not on today. Salvation is expensive. First observation to make about this salvation that John's going to begin to, to talk about is that it is expensive. In, in uh, verse 1 again, in, in the first part of verse 2, it says, My little children, my little children, I, I'm writing things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. My, my little children, and, and John's not writing to children's church that day. He, he's writing to believers in Jesus Christ, to brothers and sisters in, in Christ, or who are claiming to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and this, this, this term, little children, and others that you're going to see as we make our way through John's letters, uh, he uses other terms as well, but they're terms of endearment. You remember we said that last week, that this is about love, and that love is the motivation for why John is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he's, he's, he loves these people. He cares about these people. He cares about their lives today, and he cares about their eternity and where they will spend it, and making sure they're in right relationship with God, making sure that they are saved. And so even in this, he starts out, my, my, my little children, these little, you children, it's a term of endearment. He's an elderly man when he writes this, and he writes it truly out of love. Which, by the way, is supposed to be the motivation for everything that we do, right? Uh, it's, it, it's supposed to, and I, I know we don't always get it right, but the, that as a follower of Christ, that his love in me uh, compels and propels me to, to love others in a similar fashion, to, to, to make allowances, to be patient, to, to overlook grievances, to uh, extend forgiveness, you know, all these kind of things, and, and to, to be willing to do what needs to be done out of love. And like in chapter 1... If you were here for those weeks, like in chapter 1, John uh, jumps in pretty quick into this calling on our life, if, if we're followers of Christ, this calling on our life to come out of the life we lived before, a, a, a life that was based on us, a life that was a life of sin, honestly, to calling us out of that life and to a life of following Christ. Now, uh, we, we'll really get to... To more of that next week. We'll, we'll get to more of the idea of the, the sin and, and all this kind of stuff. But, but clearly jumps in. And, and that's, a, that's a biblical observation in general, right? I mean, all through the Bible, the Bible's always calling us out of sin, calling us to, uh, to, to walk after Him, to follow Him, to, 
to be. It's, it's what you might call this, you might call this pursuit of purity that he's calling us to, to, to be more Christ-like in our life. I won't be sinless. He established that last week. And I know I won't be sinless, but there's this pursuit of purity uh, to come out and to walk and, and to follow him in our lives. He's got, like I said, we'll get into that more next week, but I want you to understand that, that sin, when, when we talk about sin, when John talks about sin, he's not simply talking about the big ones, okay? You know what I'm saying? The, the big ones, murder and, you know, thievery and sexual sin, rape. Well, you know, when, sure, those are sins, and, and, and people are called out of, out of a life of sin, but they're not the only sin. See, it's what I find in our lives. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. We tend to categorize sin. God condemns sin. But, and what I find is that sometimes people, they get in this idea, well, well I, you know, I've, I've, never, I've never murdered anybody. But, but what about anger? Do you have a problem with letting God take a hold of your, your anger issue and deal with it? Well, what about your language. What about, you understand what I'm saying? What about, what about your finances and, and doing what God commands you to do with your finances? What about uh, the sharing your faith or, or unwillingness to share your, your faith? You see, sin is saying, doing, or thinking anything that God would not want us to say, do, or think. That essentially is what sin is. And clearly, he's, he's calling us out of this. He's calling us to this pursuit of purity in our lives. Right? Again, not always getting it right. Not, you know. And, and this, this, this calling out of sin comes as a result of this salvation. And what, what I want to point out as we start this thing this morning is to, this, to recognize the, the expense of this salvation. That just how incredibly expensive this salvation was. Uh, to look at it again in the first part of Verse 2, he says, He himself is the propitiation for our sins. He himself. Uh, think what he's saying now. God himself is the propitiation for our sins. Now, I know propitiation, that's a big $5 word. Uh, let's, let's find out what it means. Propitiation, in the Greek, it is halasmas. In, in classical Greek application, halasmas was regarded, watch this, as nullifying the action which caused the rift between the deity and the individual. That, that's what halasmas meant, to, to mend the rift that exists between the deity, between God and the individual. And that's exactly what has happened in our lives. There's a rift between you and myself and God because of our sin. It causes this, this rift. The the Hebrew, I'll just give you not the, the Hebrew equivalent of it would be kapurim, uh, which means it's covering or it's atonement. That's what propitiation is. It's covering or, or it's atonement. Uh, you've you've probably heard of, at some point about the 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 on Yom Kippur. You heard heard maybe a Jew refer to Yom Kippur on Day of Atonement. The high priest would go into the holy of holy place, right? And he'd offer this sacrifice once a year. He'd offer up this this blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it was intended to help people realize the seriousness of their, of their sin. That was the whole point of it. And that God was, was, was covering, was atoning for their sins. In the Old Testament case, he was temporarily covering their sins until the, the, the sinless Lamb of God would eventually come to ultimately take away sins. 
but he's covering this sin that, that has caused this rift. Remember in, in chapter 1, we looked at this passage, it says, In him there is no darkness at all. Remember that in chapter 1? In him there's no darkness at all. Is there darkness in you? Yeah. In me? Yeah. Yeah. The darkness representing or being an analogy for sin in, in, in my life. And so there's this rift. And the rift is so great, so vast, that no amount of, of hard work or good work, no amount of money, no amount of, of whatever could ever bridge uh, or mend this rift that existed between me and God. And what happens? God, what? Himself. God himself, listen, this ought to humble us and at the same time blow our minds. God, who has wrath, the wrath of God on sin, took that wrath for sin and poured it out on himself on the cross. So that you and I would not have to be under the consequences, the condemnation, and the wrath of God for all of eternity. He did that for us. Listen, I know this is Christianity 101, but it's just coming back to being reminded of that reality that he did this for us. When, I was, when we were in seminary uh, years, years ago now, it's amazing how far time goes. But we were in seminary years ago. Uh, I worked part-time for the seminary. And then was a full-time student. Cindy worked full-time for the seminary and uh, was a full-time mom and, and, and wife and, you know, raising kids and all that kind of stuff. And you hear this a lot. Sem- seminarians aren't, you know, poor-mouthing it, uh, but it's just reality. You don't have a lot of money in seminary. Usually you're just kind of barely scraping by. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, but somehow, um, somehow, uh, Cindy, uh, over a number of months, uh, scrimped and and saved and sacrificed uh, so that on my birthday she could present me with my first set of real, real, Nate Jones, real golf clubs. I had some, I had some knockoff thing before. She had Callaway Big Bertha Irons. Some of y'all remember them big old honking square things. They were like unbelievable. Um, but it, and, they, and they were not cheap, man. They were not giving those things away. And listen, I know no, no analogy... Listen to me. No analogy is equivalent to the sacrifice Christ made on the cross. I'm not in any way comparing the the purchase of golf clubs uh, to the purchase of my salvation. But what I am saying is, is that is what love does. Love sacrifices. Love, love, love is willing to to suffer as for the good of the other. This salvation that you and I have is so expensive. Because, Romans 5, 9 says, uh, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. No, no more consequences as a result of a relationship with him. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He made him who knew no sin, what? Say it. To be sin on our behalf. You can even change that to the personal pronoun. On my behalf. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or to put it another way, so that the rift between holy God and sinful clay could be mended. And it was expensive. Please, I say this to you today as a motivator for your life. To think every time, to, to say, yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, I'm, what, yeah, I'm this. Yeah, I'm that. Uh, I used to work with a guy years ago in another ministry uh, named, named Steve Brown. And Steve Brown used to have this saying that he said 
he said it a lot. He said it all, all the time. But uh, Steve was a high energy kind of guy anyway. But Steve uh, used to have this saying that he would say. He said, he said, I, uh, he said God saved me and I ain't got over it yet. He said it all, all the time. Hey, never get over it, folks. Never get over it. Because not getting over it, when, when that, remember I said we will sin, I understand. But when that temptation comes, not getting over it in that moment, the Spirit will use this so great a salvation, this so expensive a salvation to quicken your heart and say, no, 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 Clay, don't. Turn away. Grab victory this time. I'm, I'm offering you victory. Grab away. I've done this for you. I may not always get it right, but man, it was so expensive. We need to never get over it. Here's the second uh, observation that I want to make about salvation today. Salvation is exclusive. To read the latter part of verse 1 again and the first part of verse 2. And if anyone, uh, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. Singular. One. Uno. Salvation is is exclusive. There is one way and one way only to obtain salvation and that is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is an advocate. An advocate, singular. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. You probably know a lot of these verses. But John fourteen six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father, what? But through me. Amen. Acts 4, 12, and there is salvation in who? No one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. Well, what? What about Buddha? What about Mahat? Listen, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not dissing. I'm just saying this, this is the claim. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, one, one more, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This God who took on flesh and lived this sinless life and willingly laid down that life it is exclusive. And listen, here we go. I know. I understand. To claim the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation, the only way to heaven, the only way to be saved, to claim that is incredibly unpopular in the current culture in which we live and in the world at large. Because we're standing up and we're saying the Jews that, that reject Christ are wrong. The Muslims are wrong. The Buddhists are wrong. The Hindus are wrong. The Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong. The Mormons are wrong. The atheists are wrong. And when you're standing there, when you're living this life, when, you're, when you have an opportunity, when you're, when you're standing there and saying that, that all of these are wrong, all, that, y'all, that y'all are wrong, when you're standing there saying that, I'm tell, listen, listen, you know you live in this world, you're going to be about as popular as Colonel Sanders in a chicken coop. About as popular as Leah Remini as a, at a Scientology meeting. Right? When, when you stand up and make this exclusive claim, Jesus is the only way. It, man, it, it's, it's going to go over like a lead balloon, man. Right? In the world. But that's... But I keep saying this. It, it's, it's either true or it's not. 
And as, as you, some of you heard me say many times through the years, man, I, I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. I'm, I'm going with that guy. Look, look at what the uh, Word of God says. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I wanted to make this, this statement. I want to say this about it. That, that when I say that they're wrong, I, please hear me say, I'm not saying that a person doesn't have a right to worship who or what they want. They absolutely have that right, especially in this nation in which we live. And I would defend that right to worship who or what they want. They have that right. But having the right to worship someone or something is not the same thing as being right about who or what you're worshiping. You, you do understand that. When, when there's an exclusive claim, you know, if, if maybe if, if there's an exclusive claim, there, there's a right and there's a wrong. Jesus is either right or he is wrong. If, he is, if, he's, if he's wrong, he's wrong. But if he's right, listen, if Jesus is right, then you and I have no right to keep silent. We, we, we cannot keep silent about this. We must be willing to share. Listen, I, I know to be able to say to somebody, I know this is not what you grew up with. I know this may be sound offensive to you. Please know with all the love that I have you, I'm simply communicating to you what I have discovered to be true. Not because some preacher stood up there and said it, although we hope that he did, but because this is what, what God's word says, this is what Jesus himself said. I'm it, guys. I'm the way. Amen. I explained it this way one time. I have explained it this way. Maybe you've heard me explain it this way. Leaving the government and bureaucracy out of it for a minute. If you build a home, if you build a house on a parcel of land that you purchase, that, that belongs to you, that in God's case, you create it. But if you have a piece of land and you build a home, how many dri- who gets to determine how many driveways you want to that home? You do. You do. Heaven is God's home, and He gets to, and God has said, listen, because I want to make sure everybody understands this, it's not about you, it's not about your good works, or what, which, by the way, is, you know this, this is, the, this is the dividing point between Christianity and true Christianity and every other religion in the world. Because God wanted to make it clear that, that, that you and I could never be good enough, work good enough, give enough, uh, act fancy, whatever, that we could never do enough. And so He said, no, there'll be one way, and it'll be my own personal sacrifice. I'll pour my wrath out on myself so that you can be saved it is exclusive and, and we just we just we can't shy away from that we just it, uh, that doesn't mean that you know it's not arrogant it's not oh yeah i'm right you're wrong you're burning in hell for no it's man to lovingly say man i i'd want you to tell me if you i mean obviously you think you're right let's let's talk about it let's let's discuss it let's let's do it salvation is uh, exclusive. It's expensive. It's exclusive. One more I want to share with you this morning. Salvation is extensive. Salvation is extensive. Now watch this. Watch what he says. Latter part of verse 2. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus made it clear that the way was exclusive, but not who can go on the way. Matter of fact, you may notice, uh, if, you, if you have a copy of God's Word open to you, you may notice that the, the if you'll turn back to that, please, uh, Lauren, if you'll, you may notice that the, those of, that those two words are in italics. If you've got your Bible open, you may find those two words in italics, which means that they weren't in the original manuscripts. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't in the, in the originals that, that those were added later for clarification purposes. You can find places in prescription where it does that. It's added for clarification purposes. But quite honestly, in this case, I think they'd have been better off uh, just leaving it alone. Uh, because, of, because if you take those out, it simply says, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The whole world. It, 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 there's this extensive invitation 
to the gospel. A number of years ago, I served in ministry with a, a friend of mine, he's still a friend of mine to this day, who did not believe that the gospel was extensive. He did not believe that the gospel was for anyone in the world. He believed that the gospel was only for those that, that God chose beforehand uh, to, to receive this, this gift. And, and we, we had a disagreement about that and whether any person could be saved or only those that God had, had pre-chosen uh, before they were ever created. And so we were discussing this topic one day. We were having this discussion. And he said to me, uh, rather, quite honestly, rather glibly, he said to me, oh, so you think Jesus failed? And I, I'm like, no, but go ahead and tell me what you mean. And he said, well, he said, well, you believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, right? I said, That's, yes, I, I believe that. And he said, well, clearly the whole world is not going to be saved, so Jesus failed. <sighs> Listen, I, I wrote it down, put it up on the screen so you can see this. I want you to understand this. I really believe this is biblically accurate. A person's receptivity to a gift doesn't determine the value or worth of the gift or lessen the gracious generosity of the giver. A person's rejection of a gift doesn't lessen the value of that gift in any way. Think of it this way. If, if I said to you, if I said to one of you, if I said here, I, I, want, I want to give you my Ford Expedition. I want to give it to you. Jesus, I want to give you my Ford Expedition. That's right. That's a good point. Listen, and, 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 if, and I say to him, hey, Jesus, it's, it's paid for. I've already paid for it. You don't know nothing on it. I, I just want to give it to you. It's yours. It's a free gift. <laughs> and if, if, if you say, if Jesus says, for, for whatever reason, if Jesus says, <laughs> yeah, that could be. Yeah, you could, if Jesus says, no, no thanks, because he's a Chevy man, right? Or because his pride, listen, his pride won't let him receive such a, a valuable gift. It's a 2007, but it's still valuable. <laughs> because of pride, have you ever, you ever known anybody? Oh, no, no, I, really, I couldn't, right? Maybe because of, because of pride wouldn't let them receive this, this precious gift. Maybe, maybe he's afraid that driving my ex- expedition will make him have to change his driving habits. Maybe he just doesn't like my shiny wheels. But the point is, his rejection of my gift in no way lessens the, the value of the gift and the generosity, the graciousness of the giver. I, I know, I know not everyone is going to accept Christ. I know that the whole world is not going to be saved. Scripture is very clear about that. But I also know, absolutely believe that Scripture clearly teaches that any person, any person, any person can be saved. That it is an extensive salvation. So here comes the question. Well, let me get, let me, before we get there, let me give you a few passages of Scripture. It goes Matthew eleven twenty. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Come to me, this open invitation. You know this one, John three sixteen. For God so loved who? The world. That he gave his only begotten son, that who? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that 
everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise that someone up on the last day. One more, John chapter 12, verse 46. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain, there's that analogy again, will not remain in darkness. I've made it possible so that anyone you and I have people in our lives that we, that we say, and we're, we're guilty of saying it, that person, they're not ever going to get saved. But I, I'm saying to you, I honestly believe that God extends His grace and His mercy to whosoever will let them come. So, so it is an extensive salvation, but here, here comes the question. All right, here comes the question. Is it going to be an extended inv- uh, invitation? Is it going to be an extended salvation. Here's what I mean by that. It is extensive. I I believe that it is offered to to any. The question becomes, are you and I, is the church going to extend this gospel message to to the ends of the earth? And remember, the ends of the earth begin in the cubicle next to you, or in the works floor next to you, or in the the door next to you in your neighborhood, or, or, or apartment, or wherever. Are we going to to take this glorious, great news of Jesus Christ, are we going to take it here, there, and everywhere? It is extensive. Are we going, are you and I, that's, what, that's the challenge, are you and I going to extend it? Look what the Apostle Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 10. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. You and I have the task. We're we're challenged with extending this good news to the ends of the earth. Question becomes, is that what we're going to do? Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You probably heard this before in the in the original language. It's literally literally would read, "As you're going, it's just it's just an assumption. God knows you're going, you're doing life, you're going about. So you're going to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach the, these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this: I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go, extend it. Acts uh, chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now notice how these verses are beginning with, with who has the authority and who has the power. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And even to the remotest parts of the earth. Are we going to extend it? Uh, maybe the most convicting passage, at least for me, uh, in all the Bible. Dealing with this, this call to extend the gospel. Ezekiel uh, chapter 3 uh, in verse 18, and, and then again, he says again in verse 30, chapter 33, when I say to the wicked, wicked one, you will surely die, God's Spirit will bring conviction, God's Spirit will work with people's life, God reveals himself in his creation. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn the wicked about his way, that wicked one will die in his iniquity. He's responsible for his own sin, there's no question about it, but his blood I will require at your hand. That's what he says to his people. So the question becomes, am I going to extend the gospel? Here's what I want to say to you this morning as we get ready to close. Here's the challenge. If you have this salvation, and don't, I mean, not looking around, not thinking about, thinking about yourself. If you have this salvation, if you know you have this salvation, and next week, quite honestly, we're going to get more into 
again, the evidence of how you know you have this salvation. But if you have this salvation, this expensive, exclusive, extensive salvation, if you know that you have it in your life, that you are saved, born again, bought by the blood of Christ, going to heaven when you die, if you know that, then I challenge you. I challenge you to commit to God today that you will extend his message everywhere that he gives you opportunity to everyone, every way that you possibly can, that although it may scare you, you may be afraid, you may be this, you may be that, like all of us are, but that, that you will make this commitment and say, God, I know this is your, this is, you, you, you died for everybody. You paid this incredible price for everybody. God, how can I possibly keep this to myself? Help me, God, to find ways Open my heart, open my mind to receive what the conviction you'd bring or an opportunity you would bring or a situation you would bring where I will speak up or say a word or do something that will in some way uh, share the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, God does the saving. Don't even for a moment. God does the saving. We don't save people and they don't save themselves. God does the saving. God draws people. God sends his spirit to convict people. God brings people uh, to himself. God sacrificed on the cross. But you and I... There's just no way around it. This is our calling to extend this message. So I challenge you today, if you, if you have this, and I challenge you to commit to God today in just a few moments, God, I, I, I commit, I'll do it. I, I'll try, I'm scared, or I, I don't know what I'll, but God, I'll commit to doing this thing as best I can. I'll, I'll try and share the message of Jesus with anyone I can. Listen, sometimes when I'm trying to recruit somebody to... Uh, to share the message of Christ on an international mission trip? Sure, sure, absolutely. Here, can I give you this now? You'll have it. When, when I try and recruit somebody for international mission trips, from time to time, I have had someone say to me, not always, but from time to time, I've had people say to me, man, I, I, just, I have to be honest with you, I don't feel led to, to take a, a trip like that. Listen, no, no, no offense to any of you that have said that, perhaps at some times or thought it in your life. But your feelings have absolutely nothing to do with it at all. And if you're basing the direction of your life and what God wants for you on, on your feelings and what you feel, then you're going to be in a bad spot. I'm just telling you. God has commanded us to go. Joe, you, you want to share something? I just want to share something that goes so perfect with PC's message. My mom was admitted to a mental ward this week um, of the hospital. Now, no one ever wants to admit that you know, their parents on the psych ward. She's been admitted for anxiety and depression. But exactly what PC is saying here, I'm also an emergency chaplain. So when I wear my badge into a hospital, people notice it. So I happened to go up to the psych ward where my mom is, and there was this lady reading a Bible. So my mom, just out of nowhere, says, you know, my son's a chaplain. So the lady starts saying, well, can you help me read something in my Bible? So I did so. Before I left that day, I had 10 people come up and ask me for a Bible. Luckily, I have some resource to where I can get some Bibles. So I took 10, of, actually I took three of them up there the first day. Before it was over with, I had 10 more people come up and ask me for Bibles before I left. I actually was able to lead a Bible study in a mental ward, get it? Most of the time people on a mental ward, by the way, are for depression, anxiety. If you want to know the truth, 90% of us probably need to be up there. But anyway, what I'm saying, was I prepared to go and teach a Bible study in a mental ward? Absolutely not. My mom is there so I could be there to preach the gospel. And exactly what the scripture says, 
We are not here to glorify ourselves. God has taught me more through this week with my mom being there than he could have ever taught me in any other situation. Nobody goes to the hospital to be used by God in a mental ward, but God sends us there. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Which, which indicates to us that maybe God is ahead of us in everything that we're doing. So that all of your fears of sharing or, or why you can't share, or why, you know, all those things, that God can be ahead of those and he can use your particular gifts and talents and your struggles, God can use those to extend the message of Jesus. Now listen, I, that, that blows me away when Joe says 10 people, asked, 10 people in America asked him for Bibles. If you have this salvation, I challenge you to commit to God that you will find a way to invite, to give, to go, to share, to love, that you're going to do it. That no matter what, you're going you're to do it. And if you do not have this salvation, or if you're unsure, if you have this salvation, this expensive, exclusive, extensive salvation, that maybe you know about it, maybe you heard about Jesus, but, you, but you're not sure if you have it, then I, then I implore you today, it's being offered to you Again, not by me, but by the Spirit of God who may be quickening your heart right now and saying, that's what I want for you. I died for you. I, I, I gave my life for you. Salvation is expensive. Jesus Christ willingly, sacrificially laid down his life to purchase salvation for us. As Pastor Clay pointed out, salvation is exclusive. There is simply no other way to be forgiven and have a relationship with God. The world wants us to believe that there are many paths to God. But as we saw today, Jesus simply did not leave that option open to us. And salvation is extensive. Jesus died so that anyone in the world could be forgiven and adopted into the family of God. Pastor Clay challenged us to see our responsibility in making sure that the world knows that they can be forgiven. If we don't, who will? We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.